So this is our, our text. We keep moving through it. We keep adding to it. So Ephesians 6, 13 through 16. Now, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That was last week. And this week, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we are on now the shield of faith. Now, faith is kind of in a wheelhouse of every preacher, right? Because it's easy to preach a sermon on faith. There's a million different sermons you can preach on faith. And uh, I'm, I wasn't exactly sure where to go. And that's kind of the problem with preaching on faith because you could spend a year on it and not even cover it all. It is the central part of the Christian belief. We, it's, it's an overused word, horribly overused. Uh, and we almost need like 15 different words broken down, which all mean faith or something. Because just saying faith all the time just means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And I always kind of had a bit of a problem with the faith. And just because it is so overused, and I think it, it loses some nuances because of that. You know, it's like one word that means many things. And it's hard to know always when you're reading it in the context of the Bible, which it means. Uh, and we see it, like, for instance, faith is a gift. We see it as actually listed as one of the gifts of the Spirit. To another, he's listing all the different gifts. He says, another, the Spirit gives faith. And to another, gifts healing by the same Spirit. It's like, well, whoa, 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 wait. You're saying we all don't have faith? Because Paul's kind of listing all the gifts of the Spirit. Well, you don't get all the gifts of the Spirit, right? Not everybody can speak in tongues. Not everybody has a gift of healing. Not everybody has a gift of prophecy. So does not everybody have the gift of faith? And I believe actually Paul is saying just that when it comes to the gift of faith, which is this, some people just have the ability to believe things from God in, easily and quickly. I think it's a gift. And not everybody does get that. But yet we all have to have some kind of faith because faith saved you. And in Romans 12, he says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the faith that God has distributed in each one of you. And he says, in other words, you know better than anybody else. God has given you a certain amount of faith, and he may have given you more faith than somebody else. That doesn't make you better. It's a gift right? It's like saying, I'm better than you are because my wife gave me a gift of a Rolex watch. No, I didn't have nothing to do with it. First of all, that'd be crazy. But, you know, it's, but it's, it's just like, I had nothing to do with that, right? Uh, it was a gift that was given to me. Just like a lot of the attributes I have you know, physically, you know, I have dimples. I've always kind of hated them. But suppose I love them, uh, you know, well, those are genetic. I didn't, it's like I put a pill in my thing and taped it, you know, to get them. I did nothing to get them. They just happened. It's genetic. I can't walk around, well, I'm superior to you. because you know, It's just like crazy. It was something that's just a genetic makeup that I have this, you know. And, and so what Paul's saying is God gave you faith. Great. It's hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He gave you faith. And he, you may have more faith than someone else, but it doesn't make you better than them. That's what he's trying to say, don't think of yourself too much. Actually, you need to be mindful of the fact that this is a gift from God. And then we also know this in Ephesians uh, 2, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So your salvation comes from faith. You wouldn't be saved. So everybody has some faith. You had to. If you don't have faith, you couldn't have been saved. And I'm like, okay, this is crazy because faith has all these different meanings and we just kind of begin to scratch the surface. And oh, by the way, uh, we also have this whole thing. Jesus talks about faith when it comes to, to miracles. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and they asked, why couldn't we do that? And he replied, because you have so little faith. 
Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. And that's a whole different thing, right? That, that faith is different. And so all these things, faith, 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 faith. And I'm, I've always been a little bit frustrated with that because I never knew, you know, what is faith? You know, how do, how do you describe it? It's almost indescribable. It's a central part of Christianity, but it's almost describable. And I did this big, deep study in it because I was trying to figure out what was truth and what was not about faith. And those of you who've been coming for a while, you know this is something I kind of come back to a lot. But faith, the word for faith in Greek is uh, pistis. And uh, it's translated almost every time in the Bible as faith. But if you look in Greek literature of the day, the most common translation for that word is trust. And faith and trust in our world is not the same thing. You know, we have faith in something that we don't know and can't prove, but we have trust in something based on history. You know, we talked about it just a couple weeks ago. So when we talk about the shield of faith, which faith are we talking about here? The shield of faith which protects us from the errors of the enemy. Which one of these many versions of faith is it? Is it faith? Is it trust? What is it? What is that thing that's going to protect us? Because it's really good to know that. Because I don't know if you know this, but the enemy's shooting arrows at us. So it's really good to know that you have a shield that can protect you in a case that you know, the enemy is attacking. It'd be good to know what that shield is made of so I know I picked up the right thing. I don't want to pick up the wrong thing to defend myself against those. So what do I use? How do I know that? And so I want to know what is that. And now Paul says, he gives us a little definition in Hebrews of faith. He says, well, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. That doesn't help me at all. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. But I want to know, how do I do that? It is the conviction of things not seen and the assurance of things you hope for. In other words, God gives you a hope and you believe you're going to get it and you have that hope, and you're just, you're just sure it's going to happen. That's faith, right? I understand that. What I want to know is how I get it, because I know that I can try to do that, and the more I try to do that, the more I end up feeling these little pieces of doubt creeping in, you know? And, and it always frustrates me also when I've been in these faith healing services, you know, everybody's praying, and everybody says, no, you can't have any doubt. No, you have any doubt at all. I'm like, well, that's no good. Now we're all thinking about doubt. It's like sitting there, I, I just want to do this one time, have a prayer service and like, you know, put something in the chair and we're all going to pray on them. And right before I pray, I say, now listen, nobody can think of a purple butterfly or this person will not get healed. And I can promise you there's going to be people go, oh, purple butterfly, me, you know. Because if you tell people not to do something, it's almost impossible to keep it out of your head. So how do we get here? What are we, what are we talking about? And I think the good news is the faith that he's talking about here is not that kind of a faith. I think he's talking about a faith that's different than this. I think he's talking about a faith that is based on obedience. And that, I think, is probably the most important faith there is. Because it's very easy sometimes to have faith that God is going to do something good for you. That's, you know, almost, I want it to be so bad anyway, you know. Uh, if you wish upon a star, or your little kid wishing for a Christmas toy or something, and you've already got that hope and that desire, and it's kind of easy that to, t to take that as you grow up as an adult and turn into faith. And it's like, I, I'm taking the same desire I used to have for the, you know, Red Rider BB gun, and I've changed it now into something else. But it's the same idea. I just simply take that same thing. And I don't think that's faith at all. But there is this faith in the Bible that actually Paul talks about that's entirely based on your obedience to what God tells you to do 
whether you feel like it or not, or whether it makes any sense or not. And I believe that's the faith that he's talking about. Now, to show you this, I'm going to um, go to a place I've been before, but some of you haven't been here for that sermon, so I'm going to kind of walk through pieces of this. And that's the father of faith. You know, in, if you look in uh, Hebrews 11, in Hebrews 11, they, they, they talk about the, the hall of fame of faith, and Abraham is in there. And Abraham has faith, and everybody says the faith of Abraham. He's, he's the He's the beginning of the, of the entire uh, Israel nation. And it's all about his faith. What does his faith look like? Well, Paul talks about it in Romans. And here's how he describes it. First, I'm going to read his description. Then I'm going to jump over to Genesis. I'm going to show you what he's describing. And uh, you can see the, the disconnect here. So for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is an important little point on his point. Remember I told you righteousness is the right standing with God. Now, Abraham was sinful. And there was no Jesus to save him. So how did he get to be righteous? Well, the way he was righteous, Paul says, is he believed God when God called him forth. God said, I'm going to be your God. You need, you need to follow me. And he said, yes, and went. And that counted for righteousness. In other words, that God like forgave sins and made him righteous with him. And he counted this as righteous. At that moment, Abraham was righteous because God basically made him righteous based on his faith, based on what he believed. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to dead and calls into existence things that do not exist, in hope, in hope, he believed against hope. You've heard the expression, hope against hope? comes from the Bible. That's where it is. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, because he had been told, so your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. And that's a nice little way of putting it. Uh, but he was 100 years old, and there were certain parts of his body that just weren't working anymore. And he's like, and Paul's kind of saying, you know, before you can be a father, there's certain things that have to happen physically, and they're not happening anymore. Not for him. By the way, not for Sarah either, because the Bible is clear that she's already been through menopause. She, you know, Sarah's all the way through menopause by this time. And, uh, you know, Abraham isn't what Abraham used to be. And so physically he can't do it and physically she can't have a child. And so what Paul's saying is even though he considered that, he saw the fact that there's no way this could happen physically. He says, my body's as good as dead, but God can call into existence things. And he remembers that. So he says, that's what he is. And so since he was about a hundred years old at the time, when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief, none of it made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, listen to how he's describing it, right? Doesn't this sound like he had a pray, prayer and praise service? You know, he gathered together and they played whatever instruments they played in those days and they sang and they rejoiced in the Lord and he grew strong in his faith. That's what it sounds like to me when I hear how Paul describes this. It's like this must be one of those great charismatic services that they have, you know, in some church someplace where the roof's ready to come off because everybody's just so excited. That's what this sounds like. He grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God and being fully convinced, fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. So God promised that he can do it. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Because even though no one could believe it, Abraham did. That's what he said. Faith is righteousness. This is an amazing faith. This is a faith above faiths. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying that is amazing. Now I'm going to show you the passage in Genesis, which describes this event, and see if you can find anything in the passage of Genesis that matches what Paul just said. 
because this is like the, the strike three list of charismatic teaching as far as I'm concerned. Because I was always taught, you know, I grew up in church and so we went to a lot of different churches and we went to the charismatic movement, came through, and I was always taught a couple things. If you want to have faith, you can't have doubt. You've got to get the doubt out of your mind. Second thing, you must confess with your lips. You must confess with your lips. It's important to confess with you. I don't know why, but it was always conf- you have to confess with your lips. You couldn't have any doubt and you had to continue to have faith. You had to keep thinking about God can do it. Visualize it if you had to. Now, some people say visualize it, but you always do that. You praise God to keep the doubt out and you confess with your lips. You would never say anything negative. That's the third thing you never do. You don't, like if you're praying for can- you know, a cancer patient, you don't even use the word cancer. You don't want to put that in their mind. And, and you don't ever want to say, well, I don't know, God doesn't seem to be working here. Cancer seems to be getting worse. You would never say that because that brings doubt into the picture. So you confess with your lips only what's going to happen. You stay focused on this. You don't have any doubt at all. And you never, ever, ever say anything negative about it. That is what we were taught in all the different charismatic conferences that I went to. So now I want to show you, and you figure Paul's setting this up. Abraham's going to be the one telling us how to do all that. Let's see how Abraham does this. So God comes to Abraham. Now what's happened is he's already given up and he and Sarah kind of cooked up this scheme where he had sex with her handmaiden and um, they gave birth to this baby Ishmael. And that was, that was several years, about 13 years ago, back when he was still functioning. And uh, Ishmael's now old enough that he can be bar mitzvah, which will be later bar mitzvah, but not yet because the law isn't here yet. But anyway, he'll, he, he becomes a man at age 13. And that's when the father gives him the blessing that he's going to be the one who inherits everything from him. But Abraham hasn't given that to Ishmael because he knows that God had said he was supposed to have a baby with Sarah. And this isn't that baby. So what he's trying to do is convince God, you know what, this is good enough. Half of it's right. It's me, right? Can we just bless Ishmael and get on with this? And God comes to talk to him and says, no, I'm not going to do that. So God said to Abraham, do not continue to call your wife by the name Sarai. Her name will now be Sarah. And that's a very important thing because actually the H, if you ever see it in, in, in English, it's an H. It's a different letter in the alphabet of the, of the Hebrew. But uh, that actually means God breathes. He's actually saying, I'm breathing upon Sarah now. And so he says, don't call her Sarai, call her Sarah. Uh, I will give her my blessing. You can be sure that I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. The, she will be the mother of nations. Kings of nations will come from her. And then um, Abraham fell to his face to the ground and he laughed. So when I first read that, I thought he's falling to his face in reverence. He's laughing. The Bible literally says Abraham fell to his ground laughing because this was the most ridiculous thing he had ever heard. Does that sound like faith to you? I mean, I'm already like, whoa, this is like way out of the charismatic manual. At this point, he falls to the ground laughing and he says to himself, can a hundred-year-old man have a son? Can Sarah have a child at the age of 90? Now, God can read his thoughts, but he doesn't think God heard him. He says, um, God, I really wish you would just bless Ishmael. We got this all keyed up here for you. If you would just bless Ishmael, then um, we can get on with this. 
So he's not confessing anything with his mouth. He doesn't even believe this can happen. And he's flat out said it can't happen. It's like the strike three. Exactly what faith are we talking about here? This is the passage that Paul's talking about in Romans. Where he says, this guy's amazing. He's the most amazing thing. And then he's like, well, what, what, what is, where's the faith? I don't see faith there, do you? I mean, this is no definition of faith that I've ever seen. What happens and why this is faithful isn't that. It's what happens next. When God had finished speaking with Abraham, God left him. And on that same day, on the same day, Abraham circumcised his son Ishmael and circumcised every male who was born in the family or bought with his money. He did exactly as God told him to do. What God told him was, before this passage I just showed you, this will be the sign of the covenant between us and your nations. You will circumcise them, and you will keep them circumcised. That'll be our, that'll be our sign that you're, this is my people, and I am your God. He had no belief at all that God was going to do any of this. But you know what he did? He stayed obedient to what God told him to do. This is his faith. His faith was in the midst of the things that this is impossible. Circumstances are beyond my control. I have no idea what God thinks he's doing. But here's what I know. God told me to do this, and so I will do it. Makes no sense to me. I don't know why I'm circumcising people. I'm going to circumcise Ishmael, but he's not going to get the blessing. I have nobody else to circumcise. There's no way this is, I don't know where this is going. This makes no sense. But here's what I know. God told me to do it, and therefore I will do it. See, this is the faith that matters. It's the faith of doing that protects you from Satan's attacks. This is what puts you under the shield. This is what sticks you right in the secret place of the Most High, under the shadow of his wing, because you're obedient to what he told you to do. It doesn't have to make sense. You look at circumstances, says, God, here's what I need. And God says, here's what I want you to do. Makes no sense to me because it takes care of none of that. But if this is what you want me to do, then that's what I'll do. That's faith. Because that's the faith that says, I will follow God even when I don't understand God. And that's a faith I think a lot of Christians are lacking. We will only trust God as far as we understand him. But we know this is true. We know that this is the biggest part of faith because even James, the brother of Jesus, tells us this. He says, look, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. If there's no obedience part of your faith, it's useless. It's wishful thinking is all it is. So he's saying, he says, someone's going to say, well, you have your faith, I have works. He says, yeah, you show me your faith without your works. I show you my faith by what I do. That's how I show you my faith. My faith is going to be active I'm going to do what God says to do. And if I don't understand what's going on, guess what I'm going to do? I'm still going to do what God tells me to do. I don't care if I understand God. I understand there's going to be times I don't understand Him. There may be a plan He has that I don't like. There may be things He wants for my life that I would never pray for because I don't want it. But if God tells me to do it, I'm just going to do it. That's the thing. that We have to get, we have to get into that idea so um, now James again calls up to the thing that happens next in, in Abraham's life. He says, look, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works? It's interesting that Paul calls it faith. James calls it works. They're actually talking about the same thing. Paul's calling it great faith. He's calling it great works because the two together work together. That's what he's saying. He said, don't you see faith was working together with his works? He wasn't just doing it because he wanted to do it. 
He was doing it because God told him to do it. That's why. That's why it was great faith, because he was obedient even though he didn't understand it and didn't like it. That's a whole different level of faith, that you can be obedient even when you don't feel like it's right. That's what he's saying. He says, by works, faith was made perfect. Without that, faith's nothing. We sit around and, you know, contemplate our navels and, and, and pray for things, and, and we don't want to do anything. God says, I want you to get up and do something. It may have nothing to do with what you're praying about. But he's saying, but I want you to do this. And you know he wants you to do that. Well, I will get to that, God. I'm going to keep praying here, though, until you answer my prayer, and then I'll get to that. No, you get up and you do what God told you to do, even if it makes no sense. Believe me, Abraham, the next, as soon as God left, went off and circumcised people. That's got to be one of the hardest things I would think in the world to do. And he's like, well, you know, he's not going to give, you're not going to give me my Ishmael blessing that I wanted. I guess I go, let's do what he told me to do. I got work to do. Let's get the flint knives out. The scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. They're both talking about the same thing here. That scripture got fulfilled because of his actions. That perfected his faith. That shows you who his faith really belongs to. It doesn't belong to himself. It belongs to God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not faith alone. Faith is doing what God told you to do, even when circumstances tell you it's useless. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to do that. Let me grab another person here real quick and just ask you this question. We know that David, you know, the famous king of Israel, had the most famous battle in history, and he fought a giant. And he was 15 years old probably when he did that. And I've heard many, many people, when they stop to think about it, ask, where did a 15-year-old kid get the faith to stand up to a 10-foot giant? Where? Where did David find the faith to face Goliath? Well, the scriptures tell us that one. He tells Saul before he goes to face him. He says, look, your servant killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me from this guy too. He said, I've already fought a lion and a bear. They're worse than this guy. He's nothing. And God who saved me from the lion and the bear will save me from him. That's how he had the faith to do it, because he'd already been through this battle before. In fact, he'd fought, so he'd fought somebody bigger, stronger, and faster than this guy. This guy was actually not the biggest thing he'd come up against. He's already come against the line of bear. Um, when I went to visit Mike McCall in, when he was in rehab, there's this one, I don't know why, there's this one hallway, they had, they had a stuffed bear. And I took a picture with it. This is me with a stuffed bear. This does not really give you full sense of how big that thing is. The thing's huge. I mean, I can't imagine standing up to fight that thing. I, I mean, I, I've fought some things before in my life, but never that. I mean, I had a 90-pound German shepherd about to take me out. I, I can't imagine this thing here. The paw, I don't know if you've seen these bears, they knock things over. It's like trees they knock over. I can't imagine that. I'm thinking, forget how did David get the courage to fight Goliath. How did David get the courage to fight that? Nobody fights that. And by the way, he describes the battle briefly. He grabbed it by the beard and stabbed it with a knife. He didn't fight it with a sling. He fought hand-to-hand -hand combat with a bear. Who does that? Where does David get the faith to do that? Forget Goliath. How does he fight the lion? How does he fight the bear? Where does that faith come from? I believe, although it's never in the scriptures, I believe it started out with something like, I don't know, a raccoon or maybe a coyote, right? I think he started there. And maybe a snake, you know, he probably killed that. And he probably realized that when he was in the battle with that, that 
Because he says that God who saved me from the paw, the, so in other words, the lion like would make the paw and, and, and try to snack him in the head and, and, and the Holy Spirit like pull him out of the way with these unnatural reflexes and would just go by. And, they, and said David realized that wasn't him doing it. He realized this is the Holy Spirit is helping me fight the bear, helping me fight the lion. He probably started on a coyote or something, you know, and started small and worked his way up. But even then he was paying attention. God called him to do something that no shepherd does, fight for the sheep. Shepherds don't do that. They run. They hide. They let the predator have the sheep at once, take it away, and then they pull the sheep's back together and move them. That's what they do. 15-year-old kids don't fight bears. Nobody does that. But David did because God was teaching him that he was going to be the shepherd of Israel and it was not acceptable to God to lose one sheep. So he was teaching him to be a different kind of a shepherd. And in that teaching, he was telling him, I will help you, but you've got to do what I tell you. And so David was faithful in the small things, and that's how he became faithful in the big things. A lot of times we're ignoring the small things God has told us to do, and we want him to move in our lives in the big areas, and that's the problem. The faith we live is the faith we keep. You know, we can believe in something for a while, but if you don't live it, you're not going to keep it. And that's when it really becomes part of you. And in Matthew, uh, we see this because Jesus tells us, look, to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But for him who does not have, even that which he has will be taken away. I believe a lot of Christians right now have no faith because they've never used it. They've never lived it. They've never gone where God told them to go and do what God told them to do. And because they've never done that, well, I'm going to take that away from you. Why would I, why would I burden you with something you're not using? And so we have to understand that this is the way God grows us up. There comes a time when it's not okay anymore for us to say, show me first and then I'll do it, God. You know, I've talked about this before, but if you look at the Bible, before the Israelites cross over the Red Sea, God starts to move the, move, move the waters. He brings the, the wind and, and the waters start parting, and then they cross over on dry land. That's because they were new. He just brought them out of Egypt. They were still learning to trust him. But when they crossed the Jordan River to take the promised land, they had to put their feet in the water first. And then he parted it. See, it's different. Because God expects people who've been with him for a while to be better about trusting him. And if we haven't gotten there, then we have to go back and look like to grade school. Because what he's saying is, I expect better out of you now. I understand that young Christians need to see something happen before they have the faith. Yeah, that's young Christians. You're not a young Christian anymore. You should be obeying whether you see or not. You're supposed to be obeying me. You're supposed to trust me. Trust and love. You're supposed to trust me. You're not supposed to wait for the rivers to part anymore. You should be in the rivers already because I told you to go. That's all that matters. I told you to go, so you should be doing it. Faith, however, does not precede obedience. This is the thing. We say, well, if you give me the faith to do it, God, then I'll do it. No, obedience precedes faith. In fact, faith gets created by obedience. That's what, that's what they're talking about in Abraham. It was his obedience that got him the faith that counted towards righteousness. His obedience is what he did. So we sit around, wait for the faith. Show me the faith and then we'll do this. No, God's saying, how about you do it and I'll show you the faith. You need to grow through this stuff. This is important if we're going to grow. It's okay if you're a beginner Christian, but you know, we're past that now. Most of us are anyway, where we haven't been Christians for just a day. We've been Christians for a while. And so God's requiring more from us. We have to say, okay, I need to do what God says, whether it makes any sense to me or not. If you remember the apostles that come up to him and he says, uh, give us more faith. That's a, good, that's a good thing, right? 
God, give us more faith. We, we understand now that faith is the center of everything. Um, give us more. Watch what Jesus said. It's really weird. I never understood this, but now it makes sense to me. He said, give, me, give us more faith. He goes, well, you know, you don't need that much. If you just had the faith as small as a mustard seed, you could tell that tree to pick up and move, and it would. So that doesn't really help. But then watch, he goes on this. Same, same portion of the scripture here in Luke. He says this. He says, uh, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after sheep. And suppose the servant came in from the field. Will you say to him, hey, come over here, sit down and eat? No, you'll say, prepare my supper. Get yourself ready. Wait on me while I eat and drink. And then after that, you get to eat and drink. Would you thank that servant because he did what he was told to? No. It's the same with you. Do you see what he's saying here? Because I never understood that. It's a weird segue there. But they're saying, hey, give us more faith, right? Let us... Let us have this faith because here, here, here's what you need to do. You need to do the work I give you. You want the faith? Here's how you get there. You do the work I gave you. And, and you want to sit down at the table right now and you want to have the faith that I have? Do you know what I've done to get to where I am? You need to do the work to get there. You, I'm not going to call you to dinner and say, hey, let's all, have, let's all sit down and have a good time and I'll just hand you out faith. That's how you get this faith. The faith you want, you work for. You're obedient, and obedience will give you more faith. I'm not going to hand you more faith. That's not how this works. And you don't need much of it to do your job. The job you need to do is a very small amount of faith you need. We'll grow faith in you as you keep going. So um, we cannot let lack of faith keep us from obeying God. And a lot of us use that as an excuse. Well, you show me, I'll do it. But until you show me, I'm not doing anything. It is obeying God that always increases the faith. And I think this is the one thing that's crippling a lot of Christians they, they, have, they ask for the faith to believe what they want to happen will happen. That's where we pray our prayers for faith. I want to see healing. God, give me the faith I need to see this healing. I want to see this healing. Grow my faith so I can see this healing in my life. It's something I want to see happen. And so that's what I want to see the faith for. But what if God wants to grow faith in another area of my life? What if his idea is for me to have a different faith in something else that he's trying to call me to do? See, faith is designed to teach us to pray beyond our circumstances. And by that, I don't mean, uh, you know, I'm going to pray that I see the circumstances through God's eyes. I'm saying that instead of just praying about what I see and what I want, I need to start praying about what God sees and what God wants. There's my faith. There's my faith growth. I just get, I get limited in my faith growth because I try to limit it to what I want. God, I want to have the faith to believe I have a nicer house. So I'm going to keep praying for that faith, but you're not answering me. I don't understand why you won't answer me with this. He said, I don't want you to have a nicer house. I want you to go out and work here. See, that's the faith I want to grow in you. I don't want to do that. I, I, I don't want that. I, I'm, would you please pay attention to my circumstances? And God's saying, no, how about you do the work I give you and I will grow the faith you need to do the work I'm giving you and stop worrying about what you think you need. That's a very, very different thing. And all we do, we spend our time and all, everything's focused on our stuff and our circumstances, what we want in our lives, what we want more than anything else. And that's what we pray for. And that's where our faith is. We, we want to have faith for this. But we never ask God what he wants to give us faith for. He might give us faith for something entirely different that we don't even see yet. And that's where we're limiting ourselves because we don't see what God sees. Okay, another one, real quick, and then we'll finish with this. This is something that Timothy uh, gets, Paul writes to Timothy. He says, I remember your honest and true faith. 
I am certain is now alive in you. That's why I'm reminding you to help God's gift grow. Just as a small spark grows into a fire, God put his gift of faith in you when I placed my hands on you and prayed. God gave us his spirit, and the spirit doesn't make us weak and fearful. Instead, the spirit gives us power and love. He said, this is the purpose of the faith, to give you power and love, to pick you up and move you into God's work, not your desires, into God's work. Can't we dare have the faith to pray that God will take us beyond ourselves and show us the faith he wants to give us to accomplish the purpose that he wants to do through us. That's the secret of the faith. It's the faith that is lived through obedience. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll give us a new...